When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're in the middle of the week already as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And I already heard John Paul in the office earlier taking calls for Peter Dowdell on our gardening slot. And I can straight away see a text in from Michael and Bantry's just popped in for a gardening question for uh, Peter. So you can keep those questions coming throughout the day. Peter will join us in the final hour of the programme and we've had some nice weather. People have been out in the garden and even yesterday while there was heavy showers uh, forecast, certainly where I was, there wasn't any uh, heavy showers. And while it's nippy and a bit chilly at the moment, when there is a bit of sunshine, there's nothing better than to get out into the garden and have a little bit of sun on your face, sun on your bones. It uh, really is uh, terrific. So if you have any gardening questions, you can get those in for Peter, please. And thank you to Michael, who is early in with a WhatsApp this morning. And this is to do now, I have to say, this is the programme that was on TV last night I have it recorded uh, because it was too late for me so I said I'll wait and watch it it's the programme about uh, Tommy Gorman the RTE news correspondence and his cancer journey. Michael watched it last night and says, Patricia, we have to congratulate Tommy Gorman on a brilliant programme about his cancer journey last night. So true and so genuine as Tommy always is. The programme was an inspiration to many cancer sufferers and to those who fear the word cancer. It shows that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It was highly educational on what can be done and what can be achieved by medicine today. Cancer is no longer the killer it used to be like TB once was once upon a time. There should be more inspirational programmes updating the public in general particularly around medical news instead of some of the rubbish that we are offered to watch. To those who know Tommy he is a real gentleman thanking you and that's from Michael thank you. I'm really now I was looking forward to seeing it but I'm really looking forward to seeing it now but he always comes across I've never met Tommy Gorman but he always does come across as such a gentleman and uh, what a great, great news uh, presenter he has he has been. Uh, and a lot of people were not even aware that he went through that cancer uh, journey. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that programme. So well done. Thank you for that, uh, 
Michael and thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Now, uh, mass vaccination centres that could run 24 hours a day. This is on the cards and this has been spoken about and I remember when we first spoke about vaccination centres we had people saying that people are so desperate to get a, a vaccine jab that people said if I got an appointment at two in the morning there'd be no problem at all. I'd be up and I'd be straight down to that uh, vaccination centre and we know the over 50s were at the 58 year olds today are being asked to uh, register and already uh, hearing from people they've registered and they've already got the date for their vaccine so they certainly it seems to be progressing along uh, nicely and they're now uh, talking about because there are so many promised supplies of COVID-19 jabs coming in and the HSE have been so good to date in as the vaccines arrive they're getting it into people's arms so if there is a big supply of vaccines to come then rather than leave them stored in fridges or in freezers open up the vaccination centres and I wonder how people would feel would you go and get a vaccine in the small hours of the morning and the proposal to have it on a 24 hour basis has been put to the HSE. It's, it's a suggestion coming in from uh, Neffet. They've asked them, would you be in a position to extend and to scale up the rollout of the vaccination? And they, they specifically mentioned, would you be able to provide for 24-hour mass vaccination centres? Probably wouldn't be able to do it in all of the vaccination centres, but maybe in some of the ones in the city with a bigger population basis. Now, the HSE came back and they, they said... They, they seem to be okay about it. They say the only restriction that they currently have with the rollout uh, is down to vaccine supply and also people not presenting for vaccination. And that disappoints me that people who would have gone forward for an, an, an appointment and then don't turn up. Now, I know there can be some reasons why people don't turn up for a vaccination. Some people have already been vaccinated and they've ended up getting called again. And there's been an issue about trying to cancel to say, I'm already done. I, I'm not, not going to need that vaccine. So that can be the reason why some people but then there are others who get an appointment and for whatever reason decide not uh, to go. The HSE say the vaccine rollout will be extended. Now they say as needed to keep pace with uh, supply. The Department of Health is assessing the latest revamped vaccination plan from the HSE. Now it aims to continue the current policy of basing it on descending age and what that means is that people in their 50s who are applying this week and next week to register they will not have to wait for the biggest supplies of Johnson & Johnson because the big supply of Johnson & Johnson is not coming through until June. So anyone in the 50 to 59, once they're registered, get their appointment. When they turn up to the vaccination centre, they will be given whatever vaccine is available on that day, which means they could be offered Pfizer, they could be offered Moderna or they could be offered AstraZeneca. The younger age groups then may later on be offered the Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca under this plan that's being considered at the moment, although it's unclear if it is going to apply to people under the age of 30 because it's people under the age of 30 who are most at risk from a very, very low risk of a rare blood clot. Uh, so the final plan is to be given the go-ahead by the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan. Uh, NIAC have previously advised both AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. They've previously said, look, confine them to the over 50s, but the experts now and and they always did at the time said there is flexibility for these both of these jabs to be used 
in the younger groups and that would be based on the availability of vaccines at the time. uh, According to Neffet, vaccination will significantly and quickly reduce the risk of the virus and they say it'll be done over a short period of time and their short period of time is from May through to August. It will radically reduce the risk of death when those over 70 have all been vaccinated. It will also have a smaller effect on hospitalisations and critical care until the wider population, especially the vulnerable adults and those 50 to 69 are protected by the vaccination. The smaller effect on hospitalisation is due to the link between age and risk. While the risk of dying is low for those under 65, the risk of hospitalisation and admission to intensive care, that still does remain significant for all of the age groups. So we're not going to see an end to people going to hospital with COVID-19 until the wider adult population is uh, vaccinated. And I know Barry was just running it there on uh, a news story that the Department of Health is considering a revised vaccine rollout plan for the summer. That would scrap the age-based approach which is currently uh, adopted the, um, the, the, some consultants are saying that it is time to change the vaccination uh, method. But if they're looking at scrapping the age-based approach, it's looking like they'll wait until the 50 to 59-year-olds, until everybody 50 and over have been registered and have their vaccinations. And then one wonders, will they then say, OK, the portal now is open to anybody between the ages of 18 and 49 to register. One wonders, will they go down that route? But let's wait and see what their revised rollout uh, plan will be. And did they, they've had about 27 different plans for the vaccine. Will this be the 28th when this one uh, comes out? And it's not their fault. I mean, it's purely, it's based on the science evidence that comes out about uh, vaccines. And then, of course, we've had an ongoing problem in this country that the HSC do everything to organise vaccines and what day they're going to be giving out vaccines and who's going to be getting it and what centres will they go to and how many vaccines they'll send out to a particular GP and they've it all ready to go and then suddenly the company making the vaccine will say sorry uh, we've un- we've overpromised you we're not going to have the vaccines on that particular day and that's caused a huge amount of headaches uh, for the uh, HSC but just staying on vaccines on another kind of a good news story from the vaccines the government have signed up to a new 191 million euro deal to buy 10 million more doses of the Pfizer vaccine. It's an EU deal that has been agreed and it will see enough vaccines delivered in Ireland to fully vaccinate 4.9 million people over a two-year period. The deal will see 4.9 million doses delivered next year and then the same number to be delivered the following year in 2023. The government also has an option to double the order to almost just under 20 million doses over that same two-year period. And the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly telling the Cabinet the extra doses, you're saying, why do we need all of those doses? The extra doses are being brought to ensure that we will have a supply in the coming years and that will be, if God forbid, we need to tackle new variants and if people need to get booster shots and it is looking like we will be getting booster shots, it's going to, our COVID jab is going to become a little bit like our flu jab for how long? God only knows. So this deal was struck with Pfizer as the pharmaceutical company is committed to developing a new vaccine and the Pfizer's new vaccine is going will be able to be stored at normal 
refrigeration temperatures and that will be a big move for Pfizer because at the moment theirs is the one that's in the freezer and there's a problem then with getting it out to people and how soon it has to be used once it's taken out of the freezer and defrosted whereas if they could store it in a normal fridge as the Johnson and Johnson and the AstraZeneca one is done it'll make that will make a big big difference to the rollout of the Pfizer uh, jab uh, cabinet are, are saying Stephen Donnelly told the Cabinet that between 220 and 240,000 vaccines are to be administered this week. We're going to break all records with the number of vaccines being given out this week. And the breakdown of that, the GPs are continuing with the over 70s. For many of the over 70s, it is their second jab, even though there are a few who, for whatever reason, weren't able to get the jab in the earlier rollouts. So still some over 70s still getting their first, but for the majority, it's the, their second jab. So 50,000 people over the age of 70 will get a jab at their GP this week. Between 40 and uh, 50,000 people in the high risk group will be getting jabs through their GPs. And the HSE also plans to administer between 130 and 140,000 people between the ages of 60 and 69 are expected to get their jab this week. That will be the bulk of the 60 to 69 year olds I'm assuming will be getting their jab either this week or certainly early next week. So we are going great guns with the vaccination long may it continue and as I say as we continue this week uh, to the, you can register either online or over the phone if uh, for the it's the 50 to 59 year olds we're at the 58 year olds they're asking to come forward today and it goes down year by year uh, after each day uh, right across through to next Thursday the 13th 1850 333 103 a listener says how long is the wait time from when you register to when you get an appointment I'm I'm not too sure on that because we heard somebody contacted us this morning in the 50 as a 59 year old uh, registered this morning uh, or a 58 year old registered this morning and already has an appointment for two, three weeks at uh, time. So I don't know whether some people are getting straight away getting back an appointment or, and I don't know if that's happening to many people or not. So I simply don't know the answer to you as to how long you wait from when you register to when you get your uh, appointment. We're getting reports in of traffic lights appear to be out all over over the city. We're getting reports from lots of different areas saying that the lights are out. We're looking into it at the moment but please drive with extreme care if you're driving around the city because that will cause absolute mayhem if lights are out, particularly if there's a lot of them out and that's what, what we're hearing at the moment. John Paul is looking into it. So if we get anything further on that, we will bring it to you. If you're driving around the city, let us know what you're seeing, how many of these lights are actually out. Also interested in hearing how you feel about what Gardaí in County Donegal did yesterday by setting up this special hotline to allow the public to inform about illegal parties or illegal gatherings that can be going on anywhere across the county of Donegal. Now, obviously, the move is in response to a huge jump in the number of COVID-19 cases in the county in recent days. Now, Milford and Letterkenny electoral areas, they certainly are the worst areas and they have the highest national incident rates of the virus of anywhere in the country and it was the Chief Medical Officer Tony uh, Houlihan last Friday calling out the good people of Donegal saying the dogs on the street knew what was happening in Donegal. Now that was a claim that was met with a lot of anger by members of the the public. Some people in Donegal were fuming with Dr Tony for pointing the finger at the good people of uh, Donegal. Now local TDs are out straight away saying look 
look, the vast majority of people are complying with COVID-19 guidelines, but Gardaí are clamping down on illegal gatherings and they want the people in Donegal to now play their part. So a Letterkenny-based Garda went on local radio, Highland Radio in Donegal yesterday and she said they've set up a special phone line. It's been set up in Letterkenny Garda station, but it'll cover the entire county and she said anyone who hears of illegal parties anybody who hears of illegal gatherings is encouraged to ring this special number Letter Kenny a guard the station to report the incident the guard that said all calls will be investigated she specifically referred to birthday parties beach parties gatherings after funerals and also she referred to gatherings of secondary school students has been a cause of a huge concern to the Gardaí in Donegal. She said if any event is ongoing, it'll be investigated. Or, she said, if people hear of an event that's planned, she said, let the Gardaí know and they will attempt to stop it from taking place. They are encouraging people to contact this special helpline, hotline that has been set up at, at Letterkenny Garda station. Speak to uh, a member of Garda Shikona or they can simply leave um, a message. They don't have to leave a name or an address. All the calls are going to be treated in the strictest, uh, strictest of confidence and she said the responsibility is simply to stop the spread of COVID-19 and she said that responsibility lies with all of the community. So we're asking this morning how would we feel if God forbid we got high numbers of cases here in uh, Cork would you like to see the Gardaí set up something similar in Cork? How would you feel about it if you knew your neighbours were having a party or if you overheard maybe young people in your house talking about a gathering that was going to be happening on Saturday? Would you pick up the phone and even ring anonymously to say that you know something is going on? I know a local Sinn Féin uh, TD for Donegal, uh, Paulrick McLaughlin, he was a bit annoyed about it. He said the setting up of the hotline is a bit of an exaggeration to manage the virus. So certainly the Sinn Féin party not happy that the Gardaí are doing this. Other members, other local, I know one local Fine Gael uh, councillor was in favour of the, the measure because he was making the point the seriousness of the of the virus outbreak in the uh, area. So he said he doesn't have any objection and he did make the point that by and large people are doing uh, their best. But obviously there's a problem and there is a problem if they've got those high numbers and if both Milford and Letterkenny have the highest national incident rate of the virus, something has to be done. Is that the way to do it? Set up a hotline and get the public to report what's going on in their area. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now in yesterday's Echo, a Cork GP, Dr Nick Flynn, said that while people should look forward to the easing of restrictions over the coming months, we must remember that the virus hasn't changed and it hasn't gone away. Dr Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie joins me. Good morning to you Nick. Good morning Patricia. And, and great to talk to you. Is, is your real fear that some people will simply go mad socialising? We've been locked down for four months and they'll act like they did before the pandemic. I mean is that where your concerns lie? Yeah well I suppose really maybe even not that not, not that far because I'm sure most people will still try to behave responsibly. It's more that as we reopen, and as I was reading the guidelines, I felt that the guidelines for what we will be allowed to do starting next week 
are they're quite complicated, you know. I mean, visitors to your garden, maximum of three households or six people from any number of households, or, you know, and then indoors, if people are vaccinated, uh, they don't have to wear a mask, or if the other people are vaccinated, or if there's just one household where they're not medically vulnerable. I think that the, the guidelines, with the best of intentions, are going to be hard for people to understand and to remember and you know so so it was just a call for that that, that when we are when society is opening up and it needs to open up needs to open up for our mental health needs to open up for the economy you know and it can do it can open up now more safely that people remember like whatever they're doing just to try and do it safely and that the virus hasn't changed so that especially for people who aren't vaccinated um or living with people who aren't vaccinated and might be vulnerable that they um that you know you keep your social distance they socialize outdoors where possible uh, and 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 that face masks and hand washing are still very important parts of our lives and will be for the for the foreseeable future unfortunately albeit that we can look forward to uh to, to i suppose enhance socialized or to, to mm. doing more of what we what we wanted to do before um and we can see that that, that, that that the vaccines have been very effective, you know. Um, and do you take comfort from the fact that the number of positive cases are quite low across oh yeah. Cork City and County? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're doing that, well. That and more, Patricia, like the, the, the biggest comfort I, I would take, like I suppose two, two things. One, uh, looking towards UK and Israel, where we're, where we're seeing really that vaccinations are very effective. But even in our own numbers, uh, if you look at the last two weeks, We've had 6,000 um, uh, cases in the last uh, 14 days, and only 3% of them have been in the over 70-year-old group. So clearly, like, our over 70s are nearly fully vaccinated, not quite, uh, in our own practices. Um, I think next week we've got the, the booster dose for our 70 75-year-old patients. Um, and once that's finished, 10 days later, uh, for our own practice, um, the patients over 70 will have their maximum protection that they're going to have from vaccines but we can see from the latest figures that already that the uh, the numbers of it's patients brilliant. in the um uh in, in in the over 70 group are, are very well protected by vaccines and the other like very interesting figure is that there was, there was no nursing home outbreaks last week so look vaccines are going to help us uh, uh get out of this everybody isn't vaccinated yet um, unfortunately, we don't know everything about the vaccines from the point of view of how long immunity will last. So, like for example, myself, I was I was lucky; I was vaccinated in January, but it's likely I'll need a booster vaccine July August time. You know, that's going to come very quickly. Uh, so we'll just be finished probably vaccinating the um, the, the, the the community and, and those at, at most risk, and we'll have to start thinking about booster vaccines. Um, and then it'll probably be that there'll be an annual COVID vaccine similar to the flu vaccine for a number of years. Um, so look, I think it's just a call to arms to people really that, that look, everybody's done really well. Um, the restrictions have been tough. They've been tough on everybody's mental health. We see that in practice every day. Um, I'm seeing it in my own team. You know, the team are, are, are battle weary and fatigued. They're fatigued in their own personal and socialised from, you know, the restrictions and not being able to relax the way we would have before when we're not at work, but also fatigued with the, the change in practice and not being able to see patients as much as we would have liked to, and we're looking forward to those. Yeah, it's tough, going, it's tough going. I saw, you, it's interesting that you mentioned the UK. I mean, Boris Johnson uh, in England is looking at removing social distancing next month, uh, as early as June. Are we a long way off from that, do you think? I, I think I think we are from the point of view of, I'm not sure what the percentages are, Patricia, but they're a they're a good bit ahead of us in in their the vaccine 
penetration, how many people they have vaccinated. Like you know, they they have done very well. Uh, but like, uh, but Ireland is getting there. I mean, we can see that that our vulnerable groups, like as well as the over seventy uh, year old patients, like last week we started vaccinating our medically vulnerable under seventy year old patients. And you know, one of the good things about that was that lots of them already had been vaccinated by the HSE through the hospital uh, systems and networks. Um, so we, we are getting to a stage in Ireland for the for the um, uh, for, the, for, the, for the vaccines will be able to or so, so for, for vulnerable people will have received their vaccines and you know that that will really take pressure off the health service and the HSE and again if we think back to like the reason we were in lockdown uh, really was to work, of course to save lives and to prevent illness but also to prevent the, the, the hospital sector and in particular the intensive care units from being overwhelmed and making sure they had the capacity to give all the care that they needed to give to people who had both COVID and non-COVID related uh, illness. As, as a doctor, um, Nick, does it break your heart watching what's happening in India? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely, but I mean, the scale uh, of what is happening in India is, uh, I mean, uh, and, what, and, and the scale of what they have to achieve, it, it, it's mind-boggling, you know, I, I heard on, uh, I think it was the BBC News there, there was, there was an, an Indian doctor talking that the, the, the population, 1.3 billion, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, one in seven uh, people on the planet are Indian, you know, it's, you know, you, you, it's, it's almost hard to imagine the scale of what they would need to achieve for, on, like, on vaccinations, on, you know, on public health education, you know, um, and, and clearly across that, that vast country, that, 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 that there's, a, there's a wide range from the point of view of um, from people living in poverty to people who, who would be who would be well off, and it's very hard to reach all, all, all the sectors of society there. But, but they they were doing so well in the first wave, but then completely left their guard down, yeah. and then the uh, the the UK the Kent strain got in there, and that's just such a contagious strain. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And yeah. they did a couple of festivals over the last number of months, which were involved large gatherings of people. I think that's probably a warning to us that look, look I mean, while vaccines are going to help us get out, but we have to be aware that the developing world, that the developed world, has has access to vaccine, but that the, even pre-COVID, you know, the the the, the, the under uh, the developing world, the, the third world countries, you know, they really didn't uh, have access even to uh, vaccines that have been around for 30 years. So it's going to be very difficult for them to get adequate access to COVID. I mean, I think if you're to look at vaccine-related uh, deaths in the uh, in, in developing and disadvantaged countries, they were running at one to two million people annually. You know, mm. uh, so uh, 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 like, and that was from vaccines of things like rabies that, you know, that are uh, that, that that there have been measles, you know, that, that most that there, there have been vaccines around for thirty years, you know, and and still in those countries they didn't have like established uh, public health uh, pathways to vaccinate their populations. Yeah. So it's going to be very difficult for yeah, those God countries. God help them. God, God help them. Okay, Anya has a, has a question. Both of her parents are fully vaccinated. Uh, they're both in their seventies, uh, fully vaccinated now, but they're very very nervous still about going out uh, and Anya's saying she's doing her best to try to encourage them to get back out there and enjoy their life. Is that common, could you ask, Nick? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, people have, um, you know, what, 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 what do they call it when people have been in, in prison and when, when they walk up to an open door on their release and they walk away from it because they presume it's going to be locked. You know, we, 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 we do have a lot of people who have been cocooning and, you know, I suppose almost uh, restricting their movements for 
over a year now the elderly are medically vulnerable and so it's very difficult for those people to go back out uh, and trust that they can go back out safely um, uh, but 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 I mean, it, like the good news for Anya and for her parents is that like the vaccines are very effective, and 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 you know the case numbers and vaccinated people are telling us that, you know. So just to to to, to do responsibly, stick to the guidelines as, as they've been issued, and just where the guidelines might be difficult to understand, just remember the basics: just mm. social distancing, mm. the mask wearing, socialising outside safer than inside, uh, and washing your hands. Yeah, and just encourage them on you as much as you can. Yeah. And Louise in Blackpool, can Dr Nick ever see the day when a patient will be able to choose their own vaccine? Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that that, that, pub, that might, might be 12 months away from it. The, 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 the issue at the moment is that the only providers of vaccines are, are uh, to the public health system. But th- th- there's no doubt that vaccines will become, will, will, will become available, COVID vaccines will become available through p- private providers, you know, probably by next year. Uh, and in that situation, you probably will be able to 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 to, to pick your 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 vaccine. But it, it is probably six to twelve months away before anything like that will be will become possible. At the moment, the, the vaccine providers, for the manufacturers, like the, they're dealing with governments, and governments are buying the vaccines in the order of, of many millions, you know, of units. So it's it's very difficult for the for private providers who would normally say occupational health. You know, mm. uh, networks, etc., to, to who would normally have access to, to private vaccines. It's very difficult for them to get any. But as soon as we're, I think, through the first wave of, of having everybody vaccinated and we're into the booster vaccines, which will be towards the end of this unit next year, I would anticipate that the private providers will, will have access to vaccines and people will then probably be able to uh, have more choice in the vaccine that they get. But at the moment, the best vaccine is... Is there one in your arm? Yeah. <laughs> well said, well said. On that positive note, we leave it, Nick. Listen, okay. thank you for that. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Dr. Nick of mycorkgp.ie. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text to WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Poor broadband or even the complete lack of it in their area is stunting the businesses of two Rossmore women despite fibre broadband having been installed just one kilometre from their homes in West Cork. Emma Fitzpatrick of Nourishing Therapies joins me to take up the story. Good morning to you Emma. Good morning and Trisha. Th- oh, thank you for taking our call. Can you j- j- to outline how bad your service is uh, tell us the lengths you have to go to to simply send an email. Well, basically, um, because our service is so poor and unstable, um, we have to sometimes go up the hill to tap into our mobile broadband, um, our mobile data on our phones to be able to actually send an email. Myself, I have I have turned my business online because of COVID, mm. and um, I run online consultations and online sessions. I am a shiatsu practitioner and neuroacupuncturist. And for me to be actually able to deliver my services, I've had to go into um, Clonacilty itself and use a closed, the premises of a closed shop to actually be able to deliver my services. So people... As That's we, ludicrous. At a time when we're all told yeah. to stay at home and this would have been right throughout the pandemic when people were told don't make unnecessary journeys. Yeah. And because of the nature of the work you do and you're able to do it from home, you, exactly. you're forced to leave your home. Yeah, it's been really, really frustrating because 
um, you know, the capacity to actually work from home is phenomenal. And I'm not alone. My neighbour, Leslie Cox, she is an artist, a landscape artist, and she has similar problems that she can't actually, you know, be part of art meetings. She has to have the Zoom camera off. She has to chat via the, the chat box. She has to, it takes her so long to actually upload photos for an exhibition. And actually, we're three business, business owners within a short radius of about a half a mile. Um, another neighbour, um, Jennifer, of Prestige Cleaning. And I met her the other day on a walk, and I was just telling her about her campaign. And she said, I had a window of opportunity of an hour to do some work emailing, and I literally couldn't get on. So it's just very frustrating. And what us. about children when uh, children were being homeschooled? That must have been an issue, Emma. So how this really came about was that when I kind of moved my business online and um, there was just so much possibility and, uh, you know, we had always had poor broadband in the area and it was kind of a given. People just accepted, oh, we have poor broadband. Um, But when we were all suddenly at home, homeschooling our children and all trying to work from home, so my partner's a teacher, he was Zooming, my two daughters, six and 11, they were trying to get on to their schooling and I was trying to work at my own consultations. And suddenly, um, only one of us could be on at once. So it was a look at the draw who could actually get on. So as a result, I would have to do an hour-long round trip to bring my girls to my mum's house, which again was against the rules, but it was the only way for us to actually be, get, be able to get on and school them. And I had to kind of put my own business on hold because there was just no way I could do it. My partner had to leave the house and go into the school, which was empty at the time. But this was all an added expense, really frustrating, when we had the space in the house, when I had done up a beautiful room in the house to be able to do my consultations. So I wasn't being able to work. My girls weren't being able to be schooled. And we upgraded, actually, to a mobile broadband system, which seemed to operate better. But again, never fantastic. So if there was a mere puff of wind, we would all get stressed. We wouldn't get online. And um, so, so frustrating. <laughs> and then the fact when, when I when I read and saw that fibre broadband is just a kilometre from yeah. your home. So this is why we decided to go online, because literally what happened to us was we tried to put, go back then when mobile broadband collapsed. And we went back to the fixed line with air and the engineer came out and said, you're actually two kilometres further away than the mast. So it would be illegal for us to actually put you back on our on our fixed line, even though my neighbour had it. So we literally had no broadband for six weeks. And it was because of that that I started this campaign with my neighbour. And then we discovered that actually, obviously, the, the national broadband um, incentive is being rolled out the National Broadband Programme, but it's over nine years. Mm. And our neighbours, so it's one kilometre away, and so the neighbours that actually have, have availed of it, and luckily for them it was, pre, it was just before COVID, they have amazing speeds, and they have speeds of 40 to 50, which is reliable and dependable. They can work from home. Whereas my upload speed is 0.7, <sighs> and I need five or ten to be able to give a consultation. You could only you know? only dream of having speeds of up I to know. up to uh, uh, 50. And at this stage, Emma, what you are looking for is even a date or a timeline exactly. from the National Broadband Plan. I mean, is, isn't that what you're saying? Look, even if it's going yeah. to be six months, just let us know. Well, the problem is we're all on hold here. We're all a bit in limbo. And what we did was, well, we've gone around and we've collected 208 signatures online and 
handwritten of support and of local residents who are really keen to get it rolled out. We contacted the NBI several times and they've put us on a list that they will notify us when it comes out. Holly Cairns um, tabled a question to the minister in the Dole on our behalf, but again, we never got a clear response. And then Christopher O'Sullivan got back to us yesterday to say that they were going to fast track it to three years. But that still leaves us in limbo. It's a long and way off. And, and I know, exactly. uh, reading your stories highlighted in the Echo uh, today, yeah. and National Broadband Ireland told the, uh, the Echo that National Broadband Ireland plans to carry out surveying and design work in the townlands around Clonakilty. 4,761 premises, which I'm assuming you and Leslie are too, yeah. uh, in the area will be part of the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. But there's no dates, there's no exactly. timeline. And I think that's why we took matters into our own hands, because it's not just about us. You know, it's grand if you're living in a town or a city, then usually you can get on to, you have good, strong connections. But it feels a bit like us in rural locations, we're kind of being, you know, left in the dark ages. We, we don't know when things will improve. And people have kind of grown to live with this. But it's only when a few of us who are really trying to operate businesses you know, wellness, art and cleaning, kind of the essentials. Mm. And we can't, we can't work. Our children aren't being given opportunities. You it's know, just I, not I, fair. It's just, it's, it's just, and fair. you shouldn't be yeah. penalised just because you live in, in rural Ireland for sure. And exactly. tell, tell me a little bit about your company, Nourishing Therapies. What, what exactly do you offer? So I am a shiatsu uh, massage therapist and I also um, work, I'm an ear acupuncturist. And be, so I do hands-on sessions in clinics in Clonakilty and Skibbereen. And um, just before COVID, a friend of mine and myself, we launched a corporate wellness service called WorkWell Therapies. So we were offering um, hands-on sessions in businesses. So we would go on site and offer massage and acupuncture to relieve physical tension and calm the mind, oh, calm stress, etc. Gorgeous, what yeah. I wouldn't give to have you in the building. But obviously that all came to a, a stop because well, of COVID. Well, because that came to a stop. And so the idea of actually moving online was actually initially I was put off by it. You know, how would I actually give a treatment online? Yeah. But then I, I kind of decide, I kind of designed um, a, a program where I would break down the elements of a shiatsu session. So in a shiatsu session, it's actually acupressure massage. So you use stretches and then massage um, and stretches and then massage, so, and it's done through the clothes. So what I decided to do was um, what I deliver at the moment. So I do a warm-up and I do stretches and self-massage techniques, pressure points, and then a relaxation at the end. Well done. And it's, and it's working out well, well I when you can get the broadband? Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well it's done. Great. Well I mean, done. It's meant that I can, I've opportunities. I've been able to work with people in London and Edinburgh, I run a workshop for babies and families in Paris. It just opens up so many opportunities. And this is why it's so frustrating. I know. It's just I know. All OK, you keep know. in contact with us, um, yeah. Emma, and good luck with your campaign. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much for highlighting our cause. That's Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Emma Fitzpatrick there of Nourishing therapies and the lack of broadband really is shocking in, in rural areas, particularly in parts of West Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your comments come in. We spoke about 
poor broadband in the last hour and talking about how it's affecting some local businesses particularly in the West Cork area Catherine says we live in a very poor air broadband area and it won't change anytime soon it was as slow as a wet week so in March we moved to three for broadband and I have to say so far it's going good 30 days notice had to be given to air for phone and internet disconnection the thing is that when the bill came in we were actually charged for every phone call we made for the last few weeks because we weren't on one of the bundle of packages like we had been before oh that was costly uh, Catherine uh, but hopefully your broadband continues to be you get a good service uh, for us thank you for your WhatsApp now I asked did anybody uh, know of people in their early 60s who got appointments, who registered for their vaccines and got their vaccines because we were getting calls in from people saying, I haven't heard anything yet. What's going on? What's going on? So we just put the shout out just to get a kind of a, a very kind of a ram, uh, not scientific survey, but just a kind of a very kind of a snapshot for people listening to us now for them to contact us to say if they got a vaccination date not that you necessarily had the vaccine but that you even got a date some of these are just some of your texts and calls uh, coming in Uh, Mary says just wondering how some people in the age group 68 still haven't got their appointment even though they registered on the day for the 68 year old group and we're hearing of people 60, 61, 62 having got their uh, vaccines it just it's uh, to me it's a computer generated and I can't make sense a rhyme or reason as to how it's actually broken down. It definitely has to do with areas and I think and if there's more in that particular age group in one area obviously there's going to be delay in that area. You could have another area where there's less people in this 60 to 69 year old age group and they're getting in so they're getting done uh, quicker. That's the only thing that I can assume. My husband is 66 uh, registered on the day that the portal opened for 66 year olds still hasn't got a date uh, yet. Uh, We live in Skibbereen we live near Skibbereen, says Denise, aged 62 and 63. Uh, we don't know whether we'll be called to Bantry or to Clam. We haven't heard anything since we registered and we registered on the first day that it was open for us at 62 and at uh, 63. And it seems to be alternating between Bantry and Clonakilty. From what I can gather, it's every second week. Uh, Denise, so when you get your appointment, they will tell you uh, which particular vaccination centre is open. Hi, Patricia, listening to you as, as usual. Thank you for that. I registered 18 days ago, no appointment yet. I am 64. That's in the North Cork uh, area. And then a listener says, Hi Patricia, just two weeks of a wait for me since the date I registered for the vaccine. I registered on Saturday, the 17th of April. I got my vaccine on Saturday, the 1st of May. They seem to be moving on very well through the 60 to 69 year olds. I was vaccinated in the Bantry uh, Care Primary the, the Bantry Primary Care uh, Centre that's the vaccination one of the vaccination centres in West Cork so there's somebody that only had a, a two week uh, wait some of your texts then Hi Patricia I'm 66 tomorrow registered on the 20th of April no appointment yet I'm in the Mallow area and I'm with diagnosed with Parkinson's disease the GP refused to do me well, it wasn't the GP refused to, uh, to do you the GPs were told that the 60 to 69 year olds had to move to the vaccination centres even though I thought Parkinson's disease was on the list in cohort 
four are in cohort uh, seven, but obviously it's not. Your GP knows what's going on, but you have registered. Hopefully you won't be too long waiting. Somebody said, I registered seven days ago, heard nothing. I'm in the Kilkenny area. It's not just here in Cork. Hi, Patricia. My husband's 66. I'm 62. He's registered now almost three weeks. I'm registered 10 days now. We live near Butterfield. No word on vaccines for either of us, says Geraldine. Hi, Patricia. I'm 60. Live in West Cork. Registered April 28th. Haven't got a date for a vaccine yet. Hi, I'm 64. I got my vaccine in Killarney on Monday and I'm living in the Canturk area. So it's just, it really is quite random the way it is going. But hang in there because certainly they are moving along and we are expecting, I'm, I reckon that a lot of people and hopefully some of the ones that have even texted and contacted us this morning, I imagine people are going to start hearing pretty soon on their dates because there's a huge amount of vaccines that's come into the country last Friday that's going to be moved this moved out this week and vac- people are going to get vaccines uh, this week. They, they expect that this is going to be one of the biggest weeks ever for vaccinations. I think something like 220,000 odd vaccines that they're hoping to give. So hopefully people will start to hear very quickly on the date and time because people are just so desperate to get on with their lives and to get the vaccination process up and running. Now, some more of your calls coming in. When I mentioned earlier about Donegal, and what the Donegal Gardaí have done, they've set up this special hotline and they're asking the good people of Donegal to report illegal parties and gatherings. If you know, if you're in Donegal and you know, or you get wind of any kind of a gathering or a house party that's going on, they're saying, pick up the phone, please. And it's there's a special hotline has opened up in Letterkenny Garda Station. And I was asking people how they felt about that. Not everyone is happy about it. Uh, one person uh, says, not happy to hear Tony Houlihan talking about the Donegal people as he did last. Uh, Friday. Donegal people are warm, welcoming people. Uh, what the Gardaí are doing is setting up a snitch line. It's not nice to be doing that, says one uh, texter. And I don't think in any way Dr Tony Houlihan meant any offence to Donegal people. And you're right, I had a lovely holiday in Donegal a few years ago and you couldn't meet nicer people. It, it, they, they had a real feeling that they've got that strong Donegal accent. I really felt they were so like Cork people in the way they were welcoming of tourists. And the minute they saw you anywhere where you might have been a bit lost and anyone that knows me will know my sense of direction is zero so I'm constantly looking lost and I had people coming over saying can I help you where are you going and even when we when I arrived in Donegal I was staying in that uh, lovely village of Muff and uh, I trying to find the house that I was staying in and I got to a crossroads and you know the usual the sat nav was sending me all kinds of different directions and this woman pulled up beside me and said where are you looking for and I said well, I'm trying to get to Muff and she said follow me and she literally followed me and then we got there and she said where exactly is the house and she actually got me right onto the roads. It's just up that road there on the left. Really nice, sweet, welcoming uh, people. So I don't think Dr Tony's having a go. What they're trying to do is they are trying to stop the rise in cases in the county and particularly in Milford and in Letterkenny. Highest national incidence rates of the virus anywhere in the country and nobody wants to be living in an area with that much COVID-19. So I suppose the Gardaí say, look, we have to do something. And if we know that there are illegal parties going on, then we will be able to get in and try to actually stop them happening. Ross says it's about time these hotlines were set up. Uh, Ross believes that the hotlines should have been set up all over the country, not just in uh, Letterkenny in uh, Donegal. 1850 333 103. Another listener is not happy. Jay... 
JP in Carrick Tool also feels that our patriots, if our patriots are, who died could see what's going on at the moment, they would not be pleased. He's also not anyway happy about the fact that this others are calling it a snitch line but then there's others saying you know no it's a good idea it's a good idea it'll be one way of trying to stop COVID-19 from spreading in Donegal if the Gardaí can intervene. Staying going back to vaccines Michael says Patricia the Pfizer BioNTech have applied to the FDA in America for licence to give it to 12 to 15 euros it has a 100% efficacy so says Dr Anthony Fauci last night I know I was watching trials that were going on in young people in teenagers and they were proven to be very successful and there was little or no side effects so it looks like it's going to be so Certainly the next, uh, it, it, we will get to that stage once the FDA approve it. And I imagine if it gets approved in America, it'll probably get approved here as well. So we will have our teenagers, I think, certainly getting vaccinated uh, in this country as well as across uh, Europe. And Mary, thank you, Mary. Mary sent this in earlier. This is for people heading out to, when you are lucky enough to get your appointment to go for your vaccine. Mary says, I was in the GAA premises yesterday getting my vaccine and I'm assuming that's the Mallow GAA a complex which is the vaccination centre for North Cork but just to let people know if they're going today or any day across this week people will be waiting in line I would suggest that you wear warm clothes we tend to wear light clothes as it saves time having to strip off to, you know, to show your arm and people are wearing lighter clothes but Mary says please wear some warm clothes because it is quite chilly at the moment even though we are into May she said most of the side doors were open and she said she could see people were frozen standing around uh, sometimes it was a long period when you're waiting to register just want to look out for vulnerable people says Mary so if you are going along be prepared that you might be in a queue outside but even when you get inside to the vaccination centre because we know about ventilation and all of that doors and windows are open so wear a wear warm clothes because I mean today I mean looking at the temperatures even at the moment it's only 9 degrees and I think at most if we get to 12 today we certainly are having very very cold start to May hopefully Hopefully things will get better. Hi Patricia, I'm wondering if you could put a shout out to your listeners. Has anybody, any of your listeners noticed that over the last few days, UTV and ITV, the television channels, have gone from my Serview. I checked with my brother and said it's gone in his house as well. A lot of good programmes on ITV and UTV, says this listener. Has anybody else noticed on Serview that ITV and UTV gone? Is that, have they been taken off? I get John Paul is usually good to find out about those things. I'll see if he can find out has it been removed. But normally if they're removing a channel, would they not tell people? Let's see if anybody else has noticed on your Serview, has your, is your ITV or is your UTV gone? Or is this listener just in a particular area for whatever reason, it has just disappeared. And staying on TV programmes, a TV programme I mentioned at the start of the programme this morning, haven't seen it yet. It's the programme about Tommy Gorman and his cancer journey. I have it recorded, hope to see it later on uh, today. Teresa said, I would like to thank Tommy Gorman on RTE last night for a great, great programme speaking about about his cancer and his treatment abroad. He also spoke about the cross-border scheme in Belfast where 9,000 people from this country have availed of cataract and other surgical services in Belfast. And that's the service where Deputy Michael Collins and Deputy Danny Healy Ray have taken thousands of people in Cork, from Cork and Kerry to Belfast for eye saving cataract operation. Teresa says, I was one of the lucky ones who availed of this service. Well done to all. Thank you for that, uh, Teresa. Texting 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
all home care are looking for carers who are available to sleep in five to seven nights per week and work five or six days per week. Full training will be provided. A cook slash chef wanted for a factory canteen in Ballinine. Job does come with an immediate start. Daytime hours, but no Sunday work. Cronin Electrical, they're looking for a first-year apprentice and qualified electricians. You need to have an up-to-date safe pass and manual handling search. And a childminder available two to three days per week. School pickups also. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And some people with vaccination appointments coming through. Anne says, Anne is in the North Cork area. Says, hi, I got my appointment for tomorrow. Yay, says Anne. I registered a week ago. So yeah, so some people. So they certainly are. There seems to be a lot of appointments coming through for this week. So please God, those people who've contacted us earlier, you'll be getting an appointment uh, sooner rather than uh, later. And we are still waiting to try to find out what's going on with the traffic lights. They appear to be out all over Cork City. Don't know what's going on there. Uh, So we're trying to get to the bottom of that. So hang in there and we'll see hopefully by the close of the programme uh, we'll have some update on what is going on but please drive with extreme care if you're in the city area because it's causing bedlam in some areas. Now yesterday we had some calls to the programme in from listeners who are fully vaccinated and they were wondering will they be able to travel to a sunny destination in Europe for a summer holiday this year. Well Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Keller says that the Irish government should consider opting into the EU's new travel plans and he joins me to explain why. Good morning to you Billy. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, the European uh, Commission is looking into opening up travel between some member states. Can you just explain to us why Ireland is not included? Well, the reason it's not included is it's not in the Schengen uh, Agreement area, which effectively is the entire European Union, except for previously the UK and Ireland. And the reason we didn't opt into that was because um, we're part of a common travel area with the United Kingdom and they weren't going to opt in. So if we had decided to go into Schengen, we then would not have been able to uh, keep the common travel area between Ireland and the UK, so it would have obviously meant uh, immigration uh, checks on the island of Ireland at the border. So from that perspective, we uh, stayed with the common travel area and the difficulty, of course, is in the context of where we are now, um, the UK has left the European Union and uh, we are now talking about you know, an EU-wide travel plan to try and open up um, the the entire continent uh, to the free movement of people again. Uh, so in these discussions, we'd have to opt in to um, you know, allow ourselves to be part of the discussions around uh, free movement of people um, in the context of the pandemic vaccinations. And when, you say, when you say opt in, do you mean us signing up and becoming part of the Schengen Agreement? No, no, no. This wouldn't be for. Uh, this wouldn't uh, undermine the common travel area with the UK. It would just be in the context of the decisions around uh, coronavirus, vaccinations and who would be allowed to travel uh, and and the freedom of people to move uh, be, between uh, European countries, uh, you know, take into account the vaccination issue, 
uh, the epidemiological situation in countries. So it's nothing to do with actually the free movement of people per okay. se. It's just during the, the the pandemic and allowing people to travel uh, on the green digital cert if they're after a vaccination, if okay, they've had yeah, COVID-19 I, or if they've had a, a PCR test. Yeah, just outline what, what the Commission's proposals are around travel. Would it? It's not just for fully vaccinated people. No, I mean, there's two proposals. The first proposal is the Green Digital Certificate, which is um, basically a certificate that will show that you're after your vaccination or that you have had a PCR test that shows your your COVID negative or if you had antibodies um, after contracting COVID previously. So uh, this would allow you then to be able to move around Europe so you'll be able to identify either getting on a plane or going to another country within the European Union that yes, you're after a vaccination or you've had COVID and recovered or you've had a PCR test. The difficulty at the moment, Patricia, is that there's no uniform way of showing you know, whether you've been vaccinated, other than you might get a card from the, the, the HSE or if it's equivalent in Greece or Spain, but there's no overall uniform approach to identifying people who've um, either are vaccinated, tested or, or, or otherwise. So that's one part of it. The other part of the proposal coming from the EU Commission, which was published on Monday, is that they were looking at allowing countries like America and others that have a high vaccination rate and where the epidemiological situation is, is, is positive. In other words, they have a, a major drop in, in COVID infections, a major drop in, um, in the transmissibility of COVID and they to allow people doubly vaccinated um, into, into the European Union. And the question is whether or not Ireland will um, opt into that proposal or not. And, you, and you believe we should? Well, I certainly believe that we should engage. Yes, we should opt into the proposal. I mean, it would still be up to member states to decide based on public health um, uh, advice within the, within the, the country itself whether or not you would allow us to um, go ahead. But we should certainly engage that in the event of there being you know, major improvement in public health in, in, in the United States, the evidence coming in that people who have... Um, been vaccinated, you know, are, are not high risk in transmissibility, that there's no risk from variants. So, but like, the point is, we should opt in with the, with the, 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 the idea that, you know, if things look positive, well, then we can allow uh, tourists to flow both within the European Union and from outside the European Union inwards. And I just think that, you know, we, we have to be uh, conscious that we can't forever, um, you know, keep ourselves cut off from international travel and from international tourism and from international business. And we just have to look at ways of, of doing this. I think that the European proposal is a positive proposal. It comes with the ability to put a, what they call a break, an emergency break on. So in the, in the event of there being a problem in a country that they could, closed um, travel from that country still. Uh, so it, it's, it's something that I think we should look at. Now, bear in mind, you know, people are getting vaccinated at a good rate in Ireland. There's a major upturn in Europe. We're at about 160 million doses across the European Union. In America, they're really pouring in terms of uh, vaccinations as well. So, you know, I, I think, you know, towards the summer, you'll see a major improvement. And if you're to look at Israel's, for example, they really have um, you know, got on top of the COVID pandemic, which was, you know, causing huge difficulties for that country only six months ago. But because of their very aggressive rollout of the, of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, they're now down to uh, almost... Um, single figures in terms of... But even uh, even closer to home, you look across the water to what's going on in, in the yes. UK and, and in England. 
Yes, uh, and that is the case as well. It's just I picked I picked Israel because I mean they they're all they they have a very detailed analysis done um, of the population as a Pfizer BioNTech um, vaccine they're using as well. So you know it's one that a, a lot of us are using as well in Ireland. So it's just showing that the transmissibility drops rapidly, the epidemiological situation, the country improves, hospital admissions drop, uh, deaths drop uh, dramatically to the point where in Israel now uh, you know it's just uh, at a stage where they are looking at opening up quite quite rapidly. Mm. Now, what we should do in Ireland, I think, is just engage with the European Union, uh, but but have within that your entitlement and right to put on an emergency break in the event of public health issues, uh, setting alarm bells either uh, internally in Ireland or, you know, a country that has a, a problem still. And if we did uh, opt in and we did go with this green digital certificate, would that be an end to hotel quarantining in this country? Well, we are signed up to the Green Digital Certificate to the, to the question of whether we will have it uh, operable in time. But it, it would, I think, I think that if you look at the hot, mandatory hotel quarantine, I mean, it is to keep out variants and obviously to stop travel from countries, high-risk countries. And it is doing that effectively now. They've included India since yesterday as well. Uh, but, you know, like countries like India would not be flying in anywhere freely into um, the European Union, even under uh, the proposals from the Commission, because the epidemiological situation in India is still quite alarming. It's only countries where they have a, a high vaccine rollout uh, and where the epidemiological situation is, has stabilised and shows that there's very little COVID in that country. So, I mean, countries beyond that, you know, would still probably uh, be obligated to mandatory quarantine. But within the European Union, I think very quickly we'll be moving beyond uh, mandatory hotel quarantine for European citizens. It's just that the situation is improving quite well uh, in, in, in most countries. Now, there's still risks. Netherlands is still in trouble and one or two more countries. But the vaccination programme is beginning to get on top of it. OK, and I knew as soon as I would have you on the programme uh, to talk about this, we would be inundated with costs and people saying, how soon do you expect international travel to open up? I think some people are desperate uh, to go on, on a holiday, even yeah, though I, I think the message has been stay at home and do your staycation. But I mean, if there's yes, a chance... I mean, like the difficulty, of course, for a government is, you know, to announce that, oh, you can go travel from the X state and all of a sudden then the, the situation in the country that you're allowing people to travel to uh, deteriorates rapidly or else the country or else it, it, it deteriorates in Ireland and you have to stop travel again. That would put, you know, huge pressure on um, families who've paid for holidays, etc. So look, the advice at the moment is, uh, you know, staycations. But all I'm saying is that the Irish government and the departments that are responsible should engage proactively with the European Union. And if the health situation, public health situations allow it, that we will be able to open up, that we would have the systems in place to do that. OK. All right. Listen, we leave it there. Uh, Billy, thank you for that. Thank and you, thanks Patricia. for joining us. Uh, good thank morning you. to you. That is uh, MEP for the South Fianna Falls, uh, Billy Keller, on the prospect that people may be heading uh, overseas on holidays. And the flip side of that, will be tourists coming into this uh, country. We'll keep a close eye on that. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now with only days to go to this year's Darkness into Light main fundraising event for Pieta. People ride 
across the country are getting ready to share one sunrise together on the morning of May 8th to explain how darkness into light will operate this year. I'm joined from Pieta by Tom McAvoy who is Pieta Fundraising and Advocacy Manager for the uh, Midlands. Uh, Good morning to you Tony. Good morning, Patricia. You're, How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, because of uh, COVID restrictions, uh, Tony, I take it there can't be the usual organised events that we're used to having with Darkness into Light. Absolutely. It's, um, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's a sign of the times, Patricia. But um, last year we had to cancel Darkness into Light due to the pandemic. And uh, it was a very difficult time for lots of people who were looking forward to the event. So this year... Due to popular demand, uh, we put our shoulders to the wheel to create a new style event uh, for Darkness into Light for this year only, probably. But it's it's um, trying to symbolise the hope and the camaraderie that Darkness into Light brings lots and lots of people together. So we're bringing people together, albeit at a distance, uh, this year through darknessintolight.ie, one sunrise together, proudly supported by Electric Ireland. And it, the, the idea and the symbolism behind it is to create, you know, the, the sort of camaraderie and the solidarity uh, behind, you know, everybody getting up for one sunrise and hopefully shining a light on, you know, suicide prevention, uh, the, the work that uh, Pieta do essentially in helping those in suicidal ideation or self-harm or those who are bereaved to suicide. So, so what exactly are you asking people to do? It's on Saturday morning. Yes, so the, if they wish to support the event, go on to darknessintolight.ie. We have over 109,000 people registered on Brilliant. the site already for the event, which is just absolutely amazing. It is a global event now as well, so it's just it's great to give a shout-out to uh, people from from New Zealand, right across the globe, uh, right across to Canada, who are, are supporting Darkness Into Light this year. The idea behind it is that if people can go on to darknessintolight.ie, either register to, to take part in the event and just, you know, maybe get up in the morning and, and do their traditional 5K walk, or else choose to do a challenge perhaps this year for the first time, something slightly different to what we would normally do, that uh, people would, would get up in the morning and say, you know, uh, at a quarter past four, head off and then enjoy a sunrise, you know, um, in, in, in the normal way. Uh, but this year, they might like to to do a, a, a bike, you know, um, a cycle, a swim, a hike, you know, they might just like to do other things other than the traditional event. So, it, and they can register their challenge on darknessintolight.ie and uh, and see, you know, maybe share a picture and, and show that they're doing something slightly different and especially capturing the beautiful dawn chorus and the sunrise. Yeah, and it's the whole idea of, of everybody being together. And what time are you asking people to, to do whatever they choose to do on Saturday morning? Well, in Cork, uh, sunrise is at 20 to 5 on uh, on the morning of the 8th of May. Okay. So uh, if, if you can get up around that time, uh, yeah. we're asking people not to particularly walk on the roads in the dark. Okay. They can do that because we won't have venues managed. You know, there's no venues this year. So people will will not have proper signage and, you know, all the caution that goes with the normal darkness into light events. So we're really asking people to acknowledge social distancing as well and not gathering in crowds that we can just try and avoid, you know, the... the um, 
keep everybody safe. It's, yeah, it's yeah. all about it's all about keeping everybody safe, but at the same time, sharing this one one sunrise and just as you say, offering that sense of hope and letting other people know we're thinking of you and we're with you. Yes, indeed. That you know, normally when darkness into light takes place, we are shoulder to shoulder with one another. You know, and you can share a nice story with somebody who you're standing beside, perhaps, and that can re- really resonate with lots of uh, people. To, to be a burden shared is a burden halved. And, um, you know, all that, you know, solidarity stuff, which unfortunately will not take place this year in a traditional way. But maybe share your story on, you know, One Sunrise Together um, platform, be it on their darknessandlight.ie website, or maybe even your group chats to encourage each other. Because, you know, by simply asking somebody, how are they? you know, and, and, and listen for the answer. That can be a great uh, opportunity for someone to share how they actually are. And maybe by opening up a little bit, it can be a great opportunity to, for people to reach out for help, maybe for the first time in their lives. So we're asking people to, to especially at the moment, in, in uh, isolation mode that we're still in, I suppose, to, to maybe look out for one another, especially at the moment. And, uh, you know, if, if you know somebody who needs some help, um, uh, you know, you have our number, 1800-247-247, which is a free phone helpline. That's a crisis helpline being managed on the other end by professional therapists from Piazza uh, who are there to give uh, solutions perhaps to your um, to your crisis and, uh, and and try and manage, you know, the, the issue at hand. Also, young people, um, you know, it's, it's um, synonymous with young people, but the text helpline, which is H-E-L-P to 51444, is also a crisis text helpline that, pe- that people can uh, text if they wish to avail of some help or just want to know how they are and is this a normal way of feeling? And, you know, we can engage with them uh, on the other end of, of that text helpline. Yeah, just so, to, to reach out and just talk to somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the key to it. And I think, you know, people are reaching out a little bit easier, Patricia, these days. You know, there's less stigma surrounding our mental health. And uh, we're hoping that, you know, it's going to continue that way in Ireland. And uh, people continue to, to, uh, to be, you know, understood a little bit easier and a little bit more in our society, you know, when when we are, because we can all, from time to time, you know, have an issue, have a mental uh, issue that uh, we need to to deal with. And, um, you know, maybe we need, some people need a bit of extra help. And Mm. that's where the professional help kicks in. And would I be right in saying that 2020 would have been a particularly busy year for Pieta? Well, it was a really challenging year because during uh, our time when darkness and delight was due to take place, we were really in a in a crisis in Piedra in terms of not knowing uh, where the funding was going to come from uh, to to continue with our services. Uh, so, thankfully, the community got behind the whole Piedra brand and the initiative, and uh, you know has us here to this day. Um, we, we did uh, see a lot of uh, people coming to, to Pieta through our helpline, especially because a lot of our centres had to close due to the pandemic initially. But uh, thankfully, all our centres are open now face to face. Brilliant. Um, and for example, since 2019, uh, we have reached um, almost 21,300 uh, hours of free counselling to people in Cork, out of our Cork centre alone. 
So that's 21,000 hours of free counselling that the, the, uh, the, the county of Cork have helped us to provide. You know, we're only in Cork uh, seven years now offering uh, PA to help. Uh, so it's, we're, we're really honoured to, to have a fantastic centre in Cork. And, um, you know, people in Cork can, can reach out to us through that helpline initially or through the booking number. And we can uh, we can then uh, bring people uh, through our through the course of therapy that's needed. Okay, well done, well done. And the, another aspect that I spotted for this year's darkness into light is you're suggesting that people listen to a favourite piece of music or songs while while out walking, whatever the challenge is. And there's even a little playlist you've made available. We have indeed. Um, yeah, it's it's something people might like to listen on their headphones, especially if they're walking on their own or maybe, you know, in, in a smaller group, uh, to be in that space on their own, you know, and, and just enjoy some music. So we picked some poignant stuff. Um, I'm not going to go through the playlist now. Okay. Because <laughs> I'd be afraid I'd pick something that might suit some people. But um, I know, you know, I, I have particular nice pieces in my own mind that uh, I'd like to play on the morning when I'm walking away or whatever we plan to do. And people can choose to go for a swim, go for a hike, you know, go for a, an out cycle if they wish, albeit very carefully and managing, you know, your own uh, health as well on the morning and um, and, and just enjoy the, the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a listener wants to know uh, where can we get the Darkness into Light T-shirts? Are they on sale anywhere in the North Cork area this year, Suzanne? Are no, you selling what your, your... we do is we, 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 we send them uh, as part of, of a person's registration. So uh, if you haven't registered already, it's going to be probably very, very difficult now to, uh, to, to receive one of our T-shirts. And look, at if you've participated in the past and uh, you have a, a Darkness into Light T-shirt of old, because don't forget, Darkness into Light started in Cork in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are Ten years, there are ten years out there now for 10 years. Yeah, it's so brilliant. Even if you wanted to dig out your 10-year-old T-shirt, we'd be so delighted to see that on the street around Cork or wherever in the countryside. But but um, we, if you do register on our site, darknessintolight.ie, you will eventually receive the T-shirt, albeit probably not at in ta- this not in time for Saturday. The okay. But look at, you know, wear yeah. an old one if you want, yeah. or wear something yellow to symbolise hope and brightness and that there is a bright future for yeah. us yeah. in Ireland. And I would suggest wrap up warm because we're very cold at the moment. And uh, here's a lovely uh, message in from a listener saying two years ago we had to, uh, and I'll rephrase, we, we saved our son after a suicide attempt only for the help of Pieta House. He got through his struggles to now being in a good place. Their service is invaluable. Uh, we'll I be do doing it, all that we can to raise money. Well done to such a wonderful and unfortunately much needed service. And that's oh, the that's point. such a, a, a great story. That's a great text. To share with us. And uh, we thank you for that. And I hope your son is doing well at the moment. Oh, well said, well said. Listen, Tony, a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you for that. And the obvious one, people saying, how do you register? It's pieta.ie? No, actually, no. darknessintolight.ie. Okay. Uh, just if you could go to that site. Uh, you can make a donation if you don't wish to register. If you don't want to go on a challenge or whatever it is, you can just simply make a small donation to us. We're really obliged with all the help that we receive in, in, in uh, from the Irish community and all the Cork community abroad as well. Because don't forget, Darkness into Light exists in New Zealand, mm. Australia, 
you know, right, right across the globe and um, all, fini- all uh, starting and finishing on the 8th of May in all of these, uh, these countries, including Canada. And, uh, you know, there's lots of Cork people I know taking part throughout the world for Dark Into Light. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And of course, the, the hashtags are hashtag Brighter Together and hashtag DIL2021. Looking forward to taking part myself on Saturday morning. Tony, can we wish you the best to everybody involved with uh, Pieta? You do the most amazing work. And thank you for taking time out to join us today. You're very welcome, Patricia. Thank Good you morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Tony McAvoy from uh, Pieta. Darkness Into Light this Saturday uh, morning the 8th of May if you want to get involved and as I did, did say if you are getting involved I will be wrapping up warm try to wear the yellow if you have the t-shirts great but I've got the way the weather is at the moment it's been just bitterly cold especially in the morning and we even have a frost forecast again overnight tonight into tomorrow morning and somebody says there's actually snow on the Kerry Mountains at the moment to the listeners first of all this got kicked off by listeners saying that they lost their ITV and UTV TV channels on Fairview and that she contacted her brother and the brothers was gone as well I'm wondering if we knew what was going on and I called it out and had a couple of other people saying yeah I've noticed it's gone as well and then I had a few people saying oh what are you talking about ITV is not on Serview so I'm now told that Serview which is the free to air service in Ireland for Irish uh, channels UTV and ITV has never been on Serview Serview show the RTE channels and Virgin Media channels and a rock this TV is on it as well. So people who have been watching ITV or UTV, it may be either that they're watching it on a sky box. And if so, ITV have removed their standard definition channel slowly. They've been doing it since the start of April and they've slowly, slowly taken it off over the last number of weeks. The ITV regional channels on standard definition have disappeared. However, the high definition channels remain, but you're going to need to retune your box. And it's the very same because people are saying, no, no, it's on a free to air you may be watching or have been watching your ITV and your UTV on a UK free air system and if that be the case then you're going to need to retune it because they've just gotten rid of the standard definition uh, but they've replaced it instead with a high definition but it isn't Serview uh, Serview ne- and I, I see a couple of texts in saying the same thing that Serview uh, never ever had uh, ITV channels are not and never have been available on uh, Serview including Michael sending that in by uh, text thank you for that uh, Michael now 1850 I can see a number of gardening questions coming in for uh, Peter. Keep those coming because he's going to be joining us after... Twelve today. It'll be after half past twelve today. So if you have a gardening question, you can get those into us, uh, please. You can text or WhatsApp as well to zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. We're going to take a break. We have news at twelve midday on the way, and we will catch up with some of your calls and comments coming into the program. Court today on C one zero three with Sean Cusack Insurances Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And Jar in Ahada says for the day that's in it, let's not forget that today was the 40th anniversary of the death of Bobby Sands. Goodness, when I saw that come in, uh, saw Jar's comment come up on the screen. Hard to believe that that is 40 years ago. Uh, Jar says it was a very sad time in Irish history and regardless of what people think of the situation at the time, uh, but the how different life was in this country in the early 80s to what it is today. It is very much part of our history. It is and it 
it is hard to believe that it was 40 years ago. Thank you for that, Jer. Uh, still getting calls in about people who are va- who have been vaccinated, those who are still uh, waiting. And once you are registered, there isn't a lot you can do because I can see people saying, I've registered and I'm in my late 60s and I know somebody down the road in their early 60s and they got called and people are very, very frustrated. You just have to wait your turn. There's nothing else you can do once you are registered, but your turn will come, I promise you that. And the listener says, Hi Patricia, I'm 68. I had two weeks of a wait from appointment from when I registered to when I got my appointment. I got my appointment for last Monday and went in and got my vaccine. I went into the vaccination centre in uh, Mallow and thank God, no problem. It all went it all went according to uh, plan. Happy days. Uh, well done. So, but as I say, I'm still getting calls in from people. You're just going to, we're literally just going to have to wait. But as I say, I do think we're going to, a lot of people are going to be hearing a lot of good news across this week and into next week because of the number of vaccines that have arrived. And here's an interesting one in from one of our listeners. This Patricia, question for you, please. How come the new speed camera vans are just plain white in colour. Shouldn't they be marked to deter motorists from speeding? Love the programme. I listen every day. Thank you for that. I hadn't you see, I, well I tell you, I'll straight away say I haven't no, hadn't noticed that and the reason I haven't noticed that is I haven't driven anywhere in such a long time. I was out last Sunday, got a trip first trip to the beach in ever such a long a long time and but I was enjoying being driven by somebody else so I wasn't being as looking out for speed cameras. And I don't think in the journey to West Cork did we come across the speed uh, camera. But I know what you're talking about. The vans normally have orange and black on them and only from the distance you can actually uh, see them. Has anybody else noticed that? Is there a new breed of speed camera vans and they're just plain white in colour, no markings. Now it could be this is just a guess. It could be that the vans were due to be replaced and they have been replaced and they just haven't put the markings on it because of the level five restrictions. Maybe the company doing it isn't working or they don't want to be bringing the vans to another county to have them marked up. It could be something as simple as that. But has anybody else noticed a pleasure of new speed camera vans that are plain white with no markings on them. If anybody can fill us in on that, please do. 1850 333 103. A lot of questions coming in for Peter there. Thank you for that. Are they all questions for Peter? They are, so we'll leave those to one side. Tim in Yaw, this is on the Gardaí in Donegal, setting up the hotline and asking people to snitch a lot of people are using that word. Others are saying they're being responsible because it's stopping the spread of COVID-19. If you report to the Gardaí, there's a party going on in your area. Uh, Tim says, isn't it ironic that the Gardaí are requesting assistance from the general public in Donegal uh, to address the spike in COVID cases when comments from Dr. Tony Houlihan Chief Medical Officer last Friday when he called out Donegal he said and I quote says Tony even the dogs on the street can see what is happening and can see examples of people not complying my question is if it's that blatant why are they requesting people to ring a hotline surely they the Gardaí should be aware of what's going on in their area 1850 Now yesterday we spoke with Cork Eastall Deputy Sean Sherlock and we were talking about driving tests and we were talking about the number of people who are waiting for driving uh, tests. And of course, as soon as we mentioned driving tests, we had so many people on to say they themselves are waiting on a driving test or a son or daughter is waiting on a driving test. And people are just so frustrated 
by the delays and the lengthy delays and the ongoing delays with driving tests and it's go- I think it's going to be with us for quite some time uh, to come and we're just days away from the start of the reopening of the driving test services to non-essential workers but I'm reading in the papers today that the Road Safety Authority has said it remains unclear what capacity it'll have to deal with the backlog of applicants that have been created because of the pandemic and particularly because of the Level 5 lockdown. The RSA said waiting times for the driving test test were at 28 weeks but that was late last year and they can't give us an update on how long people are going to be waiting because they say that that wait time is going to continue to grow they said it'll reach a peak by the end of the year or early into 2022 so God knows how long some people are going to wait but they say they've no other choice the system will just have to grapple with a backlog which is currently now numbering 180 thousand applicants. Now when you break down the 180,000 applicants 62,000 people have passed their driver theory test and they have completed the 12 mandatory driving lessons from their improved instructor. So 62,000 people are on what the RSA say. It's a ready to go list. They are ready. If they any of those 62,000 got a call they will be ready to sit into their car and take their test uh, tomorrow. So that's 62,000. Then there's 30,000 people who have their theory test done, but they haven't got their 12 mandatory lessons done. And we've heard some listeners uh, who have one lesson. They were just one lesson short. But of course, they can't apply, even if they could. They can't apply for a driving test until they have their 12 mandatory lessons done. So they're certainly not on the ready to go list. And then the biggest list of all are the in excess of 80,000 people that are awaiting to do the driver theory test who have to start at the very beginning, do the driver theory test, then do their 12 compulsory lessons. And then so they're way off being ready to apply for a lesson. The Road Safety Authority says it'll begin inviting a cohort of some of those who have completed all the training that those ones on the ready to go list and they are what they're going to do and I think this is the fairest way they're going to look at those who are longest on the waiting list and they're going to start calling them for their driving test later in May so sometime this month the number invited though of the 62,000 will depend on the capacity of the system something that the RSA has yet to finalise with the Department of Transport the health authorities including the HSE and the Department of Health and of course it was only last Friday that the government cleared the way for the resumption of testing from next Monday the 10th of May. It also said the RSA would reopen its online portal that will allow those who have the 12 mandatory lessons to upload their logbooks and then to be able to apply for a test date and there was a joint statement last Friday from the Minister for Transport Eamon Ryan along with the Minister of State for the Department Hilda Nocton saying the driving tests for essential workers obviously they're going to continue to be the priority for the testing service but they said in line with the gradual reopening of services driving tests for all those who are eligible to take a test and have been waiting longest they will recommence but it will be in a limited fashion and I remember I reckon it's going to be in a very limited fa- fashion and Kieran O'Donnell who actually joined us on this programme a couple of weeks ago he is TD for Limerick but he's chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Transport he's called once again on the ministers to sanction the employment by the RSA of a further 40 
driving testers to deal with the backlog. And as Sean Sherlock was talking to us about the possibility that there would be up to 20 pop-up testing centres because we literally, A, don't have enough testing centres and we certainly don't have enough testers and that's what we need to do and we need to do as quickly as possible. I mean, even just trying to work through the 62,000 who are test ready, ready to go. I mean, that in itself is going to take many weeks, many, many weeks to get through. And remember as well, they will be, they will go to the bottom of the list because it's the essential workers are continuing to get the uh, priority. But the portal should open, certainly for people to upload to say that they've completed all of their training. That will open from next Monday, the 10th of May. And then it's a wait and see if you are one of the ones who's been on that waiting list for quite some time. And at this stage, people have been on that waiting list applying for their test. It's gone. It's well gone beyond the 25 weeks that we were told people would be waiting late last year. It's gone into many, many months. It's looking to me at this stage that by the time some people get to do their test, they will be have been at least a year on a waiting list, which is a long, long uh, time. But that's just the very latest from the RSA. 1850 Now, I know this is something that we're hoping to get to talk with tomorrow. But I just want to give it a mention for uh, today. And this is to do with the government planning on getting rid of cheap beer and cheap alcohol in this country because the government has finally signed off on a plan to introduce minimum unit pricing for alcohol. And what does it mean? It's going to mean that the cost of drink is going to go up by 10 cent per gram. But to you, what does 10 cent per gram on a bottle of vodka, a bottle of wine, a can of beer, what does it mean? Well, a breakdown of it will mean that once minimum unit pricing of alcohol comes in in this uh, country, you will not be able to to buy a can of beer for less than €1.32. That will be the cheapest you will be able to get a standard can of beer. A standard bottle of wine, the cheapest you'll be able to buy a a standard bottle of wine will be €7.75. And then a standard bottle of spirits. So that's right across your vodka, your gin, your brandy, your rum, whatever it is, it's expected that the cheapest you'll be able to buy a bottle of spirits will be around the 20 unit mark. Now, a memo has finally been brought to the Cabinet by the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, and it was done yesterday and they've now signed off on it and it will come into effect on the 1st of January next year, 2022. So Christmas will be the last time that people will be able to buy cheap drink and from the 1st of January then minimum unit price will come in. Now we've been talking about it I don't know how long we've been doing interviews on this programme because people who worry about alcohol abuse in this country and the effect that alcohol can have on our health system have been shouting about minimum unit pricing and we've had countless governments saying yeah we're going to bring it in, we're going to bring it in. So it now looks like it is finally going to be introduced into this country. A government spokesperson confirmed last night that the change had been pushed back to give stakeholders more time to prepare. The government has also agreed to implement the minimum unit pricing before a similar move is introduced in Northern Ireland. And this is where the real change has come in because Northern Ireland are saying that they'll introduce minimum unit pricing but they still haven't set a date. They are saying that it won't be introduced in Northern Ireland until at least 
2023. But even in 2023, they haven't given a date, whether it'll be the beginning, the middle or the end of uh, 2023. And of course, the concern there is we will have on our beautiful island of Ireland, we'll have the south with minimum unit pricing and in the north, they won't have minimum unit pricing. And the concern is the impact it's going to have, particularly on the border uh, counties. There was always the promise that we would align with Northern Ireland because I think Northern Ireland were ahead of us on minimum unit pricing. I think they were one of the first to mention it. Then we started talking about it here in the south and then the plan was that they would align the Ireland the island of Ireland and that minimum unit pricing would come in in both jurisdictions at the one time which would stop all that the impact it would have on border counties whereas if it came into the north before it came into the south you'd have people from north, Northern Ireland coming down south doing a, a beer run and vice versa and so it's looking like that's what's going to happen now and that's why border counties are really upset about the idea that it will be introduced here start of January next year and people will just be crossing the border in order to buy cheaper beer or to buy cheaper wine or to buy cheaper spirits now the Irish Medical Organisation they're saying obviously they're very much welcoming the move they were saying it'll help combat persistent alcohol uh, misuse the IMO President Dr Ina Kelly said that Irish people uh, as Irish people, we have one of the highest alcohol consumption rates in Europe. Most people, we consume on average 11 litres of alcohol per year. And the Irish Medical Organisation and other medical bodies firmly believe that the best way to tackle that is to increase the price of it, get rid of the cheap drink that is available. And by doing that, it will stop the consumption. Others say that's not going to happen that if people want to get their hands on alcohol regardless of the price they will continue to buy it some people use the analogy of cigarettes look how expensive cigarettes are and it still doesn't stop some people from smoking but it looks like minimum unit doesn't look like minimum unit pricing is coming into this country your thoughts are welcomed on that is it a good move are you with the medical organisations who say yes we need to do something we have to combat this persistent alcohol misuse or is it a step too far from the government to be upping the price of a drink. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Dara Community Centre, they're offering a free online four-week health programme with nutritionist Michelle Ryan. It'll include practical health advice, recipes, fitness and weight management. The classes are 15 minute long and they run from 10am on Wednesday mornings. Uh, you can Zoom details are available on the Dara Community Centre Facebook page. And there are seven individual virtual events in this year's community games, art, dance, recitation, handwriting, music, model making and singing. The events are open to boys and girls aged between 6 and 16 and registration is now open on mycommunitygames.com but please note it closes today so today is the last day for you to register. And local people who are blind or visually impaired are invited to join NCBI's Cork Local Local Advocacy Network Group. The group will bring local people together to address issues affecting them accessing the community due to their sight loss. 
The next monthly meeting will be held tomorrow, three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, to register, you can go on to ncbi.ie or you can call a Dublin number 014056949. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Okay, some of your calls are North Cork man listening to us in Germany. He says, Patricia, I was listening to you there on your show about alcohol. And the plans uh, by the government to end cheap alcohol in the country by bringing in minimum unit uh, pricing, which I think is a great idea. But why wait to bring it in until the start of next year? Will the government ever get things right? They're on about alcohol abuse, but still letting the sale of cheaper drink to go on until the end of this year. Oh, my God. I just don't understand. OK, stay safe from a North Cork man living in uh, Germany. And I know I think it was the the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, uh, was saying that you can go into some supermarkets in particular, not necessarily off-license, but supermarkets in particular, and you can get bottles of beer cheaper than you can get a bottle of water. And there's something wrong, certainly, when that is happening. Hi, Patricia. I'm just out from the GAA in Mallow. Got my jab. They were so lovely in uh, there. Every one of them. It was the best feeling. Stay safe. That's from Margaret. Well done, Margaret. Everybody talks about the excitement and the sense of excitement and celebration when they receive their jab. Uh, Stay safe, Margaret, as well. Thank you for that. Uh, Hi, Patricia. Why not use army driving instructors and examiners to catch up with the backlog when you were talking about the number of people who will be waiting for a driving test? Yeah, why not? I mean, if they are... If they're able to do it and they have the, the necessary qualifications, why not? But I mean, certainly they need to, as, as I mentioned, Kieran O'Donnell, the Oireachtas Committee on Transport Chairperson, he's he's calling on the government to sanction the employment uh, by the RSA of a further at least 40 driving testers. And I think I think they need that and the rest. I think they even need uh, more. Let's wait and see. But if there are driving instructors and examiners within the army, you are so right. Why not uh, use them? Patricia, there's a Bank of Ireland scam doing the round at the moment. Can you let your listeners know about it? The text says there's been suspicious activity on your account and asks you to click on your link to or to click on, on your link to get you to your account. This is an absolute scam. Beware, uh, please. So many of them doing the rounds. We were talking about another one that was doing the rounds yesterday. It was an 0861 that just looked like a genuine mo- mobile number. We were telling people not to actually answer that. People need to be so careful. We were talking about speed vans and some listeners noticed and was wondering if anybody else noticed that the speed vans are white, just plain white and they don't have any of the markings on it. And a listener was wondering why Anthony said the speed vans during lockdowns were like large fish following the sprat as they were parked in towns and villages within the five kilometre, the 50 kilometre limit. Surely an easy catch and a way to generate money. Are these When these vans were first introduced, were we not told that they would be put in areas where there was danger, black spots for speeding, etc.? We were. And I know I've often spoken with Conor Faulkner of the AA and when he highlights having a speeding van like that say just on the outskirts of the 50 kilometre limit you know as you're slowing down there can be like just maybe a small section of the road where you're maybe not quite down to the 50 kilometres and you could get caught 
Conor Faulkner used to always say it drives him insane he says that's fishing in a barrel it used to just so a little bit like your example is good as well large fish following the sprat I don't know how many people during lockdown there wasn't that many people out on the roads so I don't know were many people caught speeding Anthony were you caught yourself uh, one is uh, wondering thank you for your text and hi Patricia just to tell you uh, what uh, this is another person what a great service for Mallow GAA went along for my vaccine uh, yesterday Day. It was top class. And this is listeners wonder does anybody know what's going on around the hills in uh, Kilavolan? Does anybody know? No, I've no idea at all. I haven't uh, heard anything. Okay, lots and lots and lots of questions coming in for uh, Peter Dowder. Let's take a break and see if we can line up Peter and get him onto the programme. 1850 You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co op Garden Centres in Bandon. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. I'm Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're very welcome. We've lots and lots of questions. Let's see if we can get through as many of them as possible, including an email in saying, um, could you ask, please ask Peter the following question for me. I have two cherry blossom trees. One of them has no flowers whatsoever and the other only has a handful. They're about five years old. Is there anything I can do? That's my listener in Ballymakira. 
Um, yeah, well, sorry, I'm hesitating there because I'm just, I'm just wondering. Like they should, they'd be in full flower right now. They should be rather until that heavy wind the other day put paid to, to all of them. It's always you can kind of, you can set your 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 calendar by the cherry blossoms that as soon as they're in full flower, we're going to get a heavy wind, <laughs> and that's what happens. And they that's have looked absolutely spectacular this year. The ones I've seen, they're just glorious. They really it's such have. a pity we don't They've get been... that long out of them. I know, I know, and it's on my, one of my bucket lists is to get over to Japan for what they call Sakura season, which is to see the Japanese cherries in full bloom and in, in their their native habitat. But anyway, coming back to the query about the ones that aren't flowering, it's most likely one of two things, or maybe both: uh, a lack in a lack in potassium and phosphorus in the soil. It's not to say that the soil is bad or the wrong pH or anything like that. It just might be lacking in one or two of those essential elements. They're essential for for the promotion of flower, potassium and phosphorus. So a good tomato food or even sulfate of potash. Unfortunately, it's too late to to remedy the situation for this year. But going forward for next year, hopefully, if if you feed them now and a few times during the season uh, with sulfate of potash or a good like nature safe tomato food, that will certainly help. The other option that it might be, but that, that's kind of why I was hesitating, it's only five years old, uh, but it could just need a bit of pruning, a bit of careful pruning, pruning it down in height and width, uh, just to, to, to try and create more new growth this year for buds for next year. So I would, I would do both. I would give it a bit of a prune. I wouldn't prune it till later on towards the end of the summer and feed it with tomato food and sulfate of potash. Say, I would say four or five times between now, let's say, and the end of August. Okay, gardening question for Peter, please. I've got a pink rhododendron in flower now. I want to relocate it to another part of the garden. It's between two and a half and three feet tall. Any advice, please? Uh, what's more important than its height, actually, is the the age of it, because the, the height doesn't give a, a clue to that, because some of them could be two and a half, three feet tall and, and 20 years old, and others might only be a year old in that height, depending on the variety, if you know what I mean. Um and the reason that's important is because if that's only been in the soil for a year or two, then that'll move quite easily. Now, don't dream of moving it, no matter how long it's been in. Don't dream of moving it right now or during the spring or summer months, because it, it'll 99% sure it won't it won't survive that transplant if you do it now. However, if you do it during December, January, uh, which is the correct time to do it, you do stand the best chance of it surviving. You will uh, probably, I would say, nearly definitely, you by moving it in December, January, you will lose. The flowers for the following year, the buds could just fall off. But I mean, the, the plant itself should survive if you do it during December, January. But the, I, I'm going to qualify that by saying it does depend on the age. There's an inherent risk in moving any established plant. And evergreens like rhododendrons and, and camellias can be quite difficult to move. Um, so there is a risk. Get as big a root ball as possible. Uh, so if like a good rule of thumb is if you were to, to drop a piece of thread, Trish, from the outermost leaf of the plant to the ground, that's that's the size of the root ball you want. Obviously, that's not always practical. But if possible, get any anyway, get as big a uh, root ball as possible. Move it during December, January. Uh, straight into his new home and the following year now don't dream of doing it now as I say so the following year which would be next year give it loads and loads and loads of TLC and plenty of water during the, the first summer after it's been moved Okay Eileen in Carrig Navarre Grisolinia hedge it's about 20 years old near both ends the hedge is dying we sprayed with a blight spray but now we can see other parts of it's going as well what can we do? 
difficult one to answer without seeing it, but I'm going to take I'm going to give as good a guess as I can. I mean, that it's most likely a fungal infection, unfortunately, like Phytophthora. And really the only weapons in the armory when we come to any fungal infection and Phytophthora, whilst it's a notifiable disease and that we should be telling the Department of Agriculture if you have it or if you suspect it, um, the, 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 the course of action is, is is the same, as I say, for most. And that is cultural control, which is to remove as much of the infected growth as possible. So if it's dying off at the beginning and the end of the hedge, I would suggest, and I know you're not going to like this, but I would suggest kind of removing the plants that are infected nearly entirely, roots and all, uh, to, to get that disease away from the hedge. Anywhere, any place that it's spreading to then, because it will spread, and it will pro I hate to tell you, but it will probably wipe out the whole hedge if, if you don't get on top of it. Um, perhaps you already know that, and that's why you're ringing. So remove as much of the infected growth as possible. As I say, if it's, if it's possible on the edges, get out the root system as well, um, and then prune back. The, it's, you're not allowed to prune your hedge as such at the moment under the Wildlife Act, but if you're pruning out some diseased material, that's I think that's okay. Um, then what you want to do is to treat it with copper sulfate. Uh, now they've already used the, the blight, a blight spray, which may have been copper sulfate, but uh, that on its own won't be enough. You do need to remove the disease material physically, uh, treat it with, drench it and the soil around with, with copper sulfate mixed with water, uh, and then feed the hedge. And also what's important, and it's, it's hygiene, we're all experts now, uh, yeah. over the last 12 months Trish on disease control right yeah. and it's hygiene 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 and it's the same in the garden so if, if you leave diseased leaves around the base of that plant it's only going to get back into the soil so you need to move it and even simple things that you might not think of but they were drummed into us in college and they're so true that wh when you're um, pruning if you're pruning an infected uh, bush or an infected branch clean that pruners before you start pruning a clean branch because that's you're just going to spread the disease that way so it's hygiene is very very important remove the infected growth keep the area around it clean drench it with something like copper sulfate and feed it and again i would go back to the nature safe the 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 organic seaweed feed um or else the granular uh, or nature safe feed around the base of it and that'll kind of strengthen the plant and make it hopefully more resistant to infection yeah, I know a number of years ago, including a Grislinia hedge between, it was my neighbour's hedge, but it was between my house and my neighbour's house, uh, that we lost that. And half the neighbourhood lost their Grislinia hedge all over one summer. Over one summer or one winter? Or, sorry, over one winter, over one season. Like, when, yeah, there's was so that, many was people that the digging out hedges. Yeah. Yeah, 2010. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, morning. This is Michael and Bantry. Morning, Peter. I have a tree fern that has new fawns appearing, about 10 of them. I cut the existing fawns. They were brown in colour and I cut them before the frost. Should I have done that, says Michael? Well, the frost was late this year. So I'm guessing Michael cut them like, you know, before the, the frost that we got in the last month. So I'm not worried about about that. So the the short answer to, to the question is you're fine. I think you're fine. The new fronds are emerging. The old ones do need to be cut back. Um, it, it, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't have done it before April, mind you. So in other words, those old fronds can be used to protect the base of the plant or the crown of the plant, Trish, from from frost damage. So I certainly wouldn't do it kind of January, February, anything like that. You'd normally wait till the risk of frost has passed, which in fairness, he more or less did. April would be be fine time really to prune it. Uh, and I still think he's fine because any frost that we did get in April was was largely superficial. So I think he's fine. You'll be OK. You'll be OK. OK, I've got a camellia, says Angela, in, in a Shannon. It's gone very yellow. What can I feed it with? Uh, well, ye yellowing of the leaves of, of a camellia is really is a, it's like a telltale sign that it's lacking in iron, 
it could be magnesium, but nine times out of ten, it's iron, and it, that's caused by it's a thing called lime-induced chlorosis normally. But, so what that means in in effect, Trish, is that camellias like to grow in an acid soil, or that's a, that's a soil with a pH of seven or slightly below it. Okay. So they will grow in an alkaline soil, which is a soil with a pH higher than seven, but they won't thrive. And, and this is how they show that they're not thriving. They're not getting enough of their, the nutrients that they need. So the leaves begin to go yellow because whilst there might be iron in the soil without getting too technical, it, it's not available to the camellia at that pH. OK, mm-hmm. so what you need to do, uh, the solution to it is uh, what you need to do is you need to give that camellia iron in a form that is available to it in a soil that has the wrong pH, if you can understand me. So that is chelated iron or sequestered iron. So get yourself, any gardens that will have, uh, it'll be called either sequestered iron or chelated iron, or there's loads and loads of brands that are, are uh, they call themselves acid plant tonics or ericaceous plant tonics, and they're all based on, on chelated iron. So that's what you need to do. And you need to do it, you'll, depending on which brand you get, it'll say it on the box anyway, but you would need to apply it a few times each year. And that'll be, that'll be an ongoing maintenance job, if you like. That's something you'll have to do every year, I would say. Denison Skibbereen said, Hi, Peter, could you ever explain to me about grafting? I have a pink camellia about 10 years old and I've tried grafting red and white branches onto it, but they both failed last autumn. Is there a special way of doing it? And is autumn the right time? Thanking you, Denison Skibbereen. Well, how long have we got, Denison Skibbereen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not as simple as, as... as is made out i'm not actually sure if camellias are grafted i don't think they normally are grafted but very very briefly uh we use grafting um to grow plants when they don't grow successfully or or overly successfully but from cuttings or from seeds or from any other type of propagation so what you would normally do is we get a rootstock plant so apple trees for example roses all these things are very often grafted uh and without trying to get too far into it the, we graft it onto the rootstock. So we would grow, let's say, a, a, a crab apple from seed, okay? Because uh, that will grow very successfully from seed. But the reason we won't grow maybe, a, a, what's the one, Pink Lady or Golden Delicious, we may not grow them from seed because they won't necessarily come true to type. So in other words, if you set the seed of a Pink Lady apple into the ground, you won't necessarily get a Pink Lady tree, okay? So a lot of plants won't come true to type. A lot of hybrids won't come true to type from seed. So we need to graft them. So we, we, we'll grow a seedling of a crab apple and then we graft a piece of the pink lady or whichever one we want onto that. Now, it's quite a specialist job. Uh, and d- d- depending on whether we're budding or grafting and the type of grafting we've done, it's all done during the winter months anyway. OK, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very specialist and you, you've got to match up the cambia. It's not it is difficult. It's tricky, but it's not rocket science. It's, it's doable. You have to match up the cambium, which is the layer just inside the bark of the rootstock to the to the graft. Uh, and that union is all important. It's 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 too technical for me to get into as an, a quick any kind of a quick answer on this program, Trish. Uh, the time to do grafting is during the winter months, but it, it's a bit more specialist than just grafting one stem onto an existing plant. You really need to remove most of the rootstock at the same time. So it's a bit technical. It's not as easy. Here's yeah. a lovely question from Maura. Advice, please. I want to convert a section of my existing lawn into a wild meadow. I've heard of covering the area in wet cardboard, then adding a layer of compost, then setting the seeds. Would this work? Would bark mulch on top be a waste of time? Thanking you for any advice from Maura. Do you know what Maura is doing there now is, and I mean this with the greatest of respect, Maura, but you're actually nearly drawing more work on yourself than what you need to. 
okay? okay. So you, you, you could do one of two things. Well, you could do one of several things. But first of all, you could actually do nothing, okay? So just leave the grass that you want to turn into a wildflower meadow. Just leave it go. Just stop mowing it. And, and don't put any plant food or fertilizer or weed kill or anything on it. And you'll be amazed to see what will happen over the next few years. It'll become quite species-rich, I would imagine, all on its own. Uh, there's there's a, uh, an organization or a, a, what's the word, like a program in Northern Ireland, and it's, just, it's, it's called Don't Mow, Let It Grow. So it's for the public spaces. You know, down here we have the All-Ireland Pollinator yeah. Plan. Well, in the north they have the Don't Mow, Let It Grow. And for the, a lot of public areas, that's what they're doing. That's what they're encouraging the, their local authorities to do up there. And, and they're finding that the just left alone, you're, you're getting all these natural wildflowers back. But So you could do that, but if you wanted to start from scratch, and just, you're, you're on the right track with the cardboard over the grass, certainly. But don't use compost. Compost is too rich because wildflower seeds, uh, they actually want a very nutrient-poor soil. They want, for, for want of a better expression, they want kind of crap soil, Trish. So pardon, pardon yeah. the, the term, but a very poor soil, right? Uh, that has never or hasn't had fertilizer or plant food or anything in it for a long time. Uh, so compost is going to be far too rich. Um, and then no need for bark mulch on top of it either. So put down the cardboard if you want on top of the grass, wet it so it begins to, 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 to break down. Uh, covered with some poor soil, not compost, a uh, much better word than the, the previous one, um, <laughs> and and then put down your seed and water it, and then that's more than enough for you. And let us know how you get on, Maura. We would love photographs of yeah. that. Uh, hi, Peter. I have leather jackets in my garden. I'm trying to source nematodes, but I can't find them anywhere. Would you know where I could get some, or is there anywhere else I can get rid of them? Nematodes are good uh, for leather jackets, Um the reason I'm hesitating again now is because I'm just not sure. There was uh, Super Nemo, which was an Irish product, which is a kind of combination of nematodes. And what nematode is, for those who are scratching their heads, it's a biological control. So it's a non-chemical control. So uh, based on the principle that if you if you have a garden pest, be it the leather jacket or vine weevil or slugs and snails, you can you can introduce its predator, a, a parasitic pest, to, to feed on it. Um, so there is an Irish product called Super Nemo's that is a, a combination of, of different nematodes, if you like. So, so they'll attack vine weevil, leather jackets and other other ones in the soil. But I'm just not so sure how available that is anymore, unfortunately, because I know I was looking for it last year and it was difficult to get. And it was a great product. So I don't have a magic answer to it. I'm, off the top of my head, I'm not sure where you'll get it. I'm sorry. OK, if anybody knows, let us know. We can pass it on to that listener. Hi, uh, Peter. I've been trying to grow Campanula and Orberita for years on the entrance walls of my drive and all I have is a big bushy plant but no flowers. Help. Okay, but at least you have a plant. At least yeah. you have a plant. You know, the, you, you, the Campanulas and the Arbretias are the ones that you'd notice, particularly at the moment, the Arbretias. It's flowing out of old stone walls and country roads. I just absolutely adore it. Purple flowers, purple colour. Um, so I, I thought that the question was going, but I haven't been able to get it to establish. Uh, but they have, but it's just not flowering. So I would say in that situation, it's not really a question of potassium or, or nutrients or anything like that, because they'll tend to flower away again in poor soil. I wonder, is it getting enough sunlight? My best guess there, I'm afraid, is that wall is too shaded uh, and it's not getting enough sunlight because Aubrecia in particular won't flower. Uh, Campanula will but not as well. But our breaches certainly will not flower unless it's in a good full sun position. And I'm afraid, I think if 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 the caller, if that rings true for the caller, then I'm afraid by removing your wall... I was just going to say, that's not do. an easy thing to move yeah. the wall. 
Okay, no, uh, and no. then Paul has a question about a tulip and there's a number of about daffodils so it's, it's really the same question. Uh, Paul says, hi, what should I do about my tulips? They finished flowering. Should I let the leaves die back? Should I take them out of the pots? Uh, or, and will, are the ones that are in the ground, will I just leave them in, in the ground? And similar questions coming in about daffodils. Okay, I'm going to, yeah, as you say, I'm going to answer them all as kind of one, Trish, and that with all these spring flowering bulbs, uh, tulips, daffodils, uh, all of these guys, Yes, leave the flower wither on the stem, leave it go off and then let the foliage wither as well because the chlorophyll and all the nutrients that are in those leaves will go back into that bulb or those bulbs and that they then are the, the food reserves for next year's flowers and next year's foliage. So let them all die off naturally and gradually back into the bulb. It's a good time as they're beginning to turn brown, as they're beginning to die off, to feed them with the good quality tomato food, again, like the Irish one, the nature safe tomato food, uh, that'll bring the potassium and phosphorus back into that bulb to, ha- to, to build up the food reserve for next year. So let them die off gradually. Don't cut them off too early. Some people will tie them up in an elastic band and that I, I don't have the patience um, for, for that. I just let them die back in their own time. Then uh, do we let them in the ground or do we let them in pots? So this is where I'll differentiate, if you like. So the daffodils, I think you're fine. Leave them in the ground, lift them every maybe four or five or six years just to divide them because they'll have got too congested and they can go blind. But daffodils will survive in the ground, really, if left from year to year. Uh, Tulips, less so. So they, they, or the textbook, if you like, will say that some tulips will do better than others if left in the ground and some treat just as an annual. I would say if you want if you want to be sure of getting the tulips back next year, lift them out of the ground or lift them out of pots. You're more likely that they will survive in pots than in the open ground. But ideally, I think take the tulips out once the foliage has died back uh, and then wrap them in a bit of newspaper or paper bag or something like that uh, and plant them out again. But don't plant them out too early in the autumn. Tulips do best, I think, if planted late autumn, kind of November time, even right into December, January, uh, when it's good and cold. But I would, to be sure of getting my tulips back next year, uh, I would take them out each year. I don't do it, of course, after giving that <laughs> advice. Uh, I'm very lazy and I plant new tulips each year. Yeah. Uh, quick question in from John. How many times can you use bluestone on roses? I've already given one application to my roses already. Bluestone. Well, blue bluestone, which is just another term for copper sulfate, Trish, and it's um, it it is. Uh, regarded and it's licensed as an organic fungicide it's safe to use for organic gardening however it does come with the caveat that it's under guidance if you like and really what that under guidance means is that you use it once a year a maximum of twice a year okay. uh, i would always try and earn the side of once a year so it's the timing of the, the if it is so important so with roses and when i recommend it as a, a a drench to prevent fungal infections the best time to put it down is uh, what we refer to as bud burst which is something that we're kind of just really in the middle of or just maybe towards the end of it's when the it's a magical time of the year Trisha we're in at the moment when when all the energy from the soil begins to come out through the dormant buds of the trees and the shrubs and everything is just bursting back into growth that's what we refer to as uh, as bud burst that's the best time to get the copper sulfate on because it's the tree is actively growing and there's no sign of infection yet um or the, the rose bush is actively growing okay and so if you've done it now I, yeah. I would leave it for this year okay all right very quickly a listener wants to know can, when can she put out her summer bedding plants and hanging baskets Ask the weather forecast. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say, as, it's all as soon as we're not going to get frost. Yeah, and there is frost forecast for tonight. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Peter. Have a lovely week.
And you, thanks. And we'll talk again uh, next week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle of the IrishGardener.com. And a quick text in on minimum unit pricing. James says, we hire a minibus twice a year to go up north to get our shopping, which includes alcohol. Now we'll just end up going four times a year. We're in our 50s. We're responsible drinkers, but I refuse to give revenue that amount of money. Okay, that's where we leave you. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick's with you for the afternoon. Back with you tomorrow at 10 until I'm Patricia Mester. Very good afternoon. Stay safe. Work today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.